Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast. I'm Paul Rodriguez of ThinkTrading.com. I'm Tim Price of PriceValuePartners.com. And our very special returning guest, it's Dixie DeVille. So Dixie DeVille, welcome back to the show. It is good to be back. It's been over two years since we chatted. It has. Now, for people who don't remember, um, we had a very interesting conversation with you about the technologies within the banking system and the potential for the um, higher order of consciousness banking system, which I didn't think you personally agreed with. And um, we had all sorts of other conversations as well, which were very interesting. So just for people who don't remember or, or this is the first time that they're hearing from you, just give us a bit of background about who you are and what you do. Okay, well, um, my real name is not Dixie DeVille, and uh, I'm actually fairly well known in the area that I live in, so that's why I'm going by that name, because I'm very easily located. Yeah, um, and you're very good at doing a, uh, an accent as well, which covers up your real accent. Oh, yes, this is certainly not how I talk. <laughs> <laughs> I only do this because I know Tim likes it. Yeah, a little too much, I think. <laughs> but me yeah, moving, swift, moving swiftly on. <laughs> moving swiftly on. Um, so I've been a mainframe programmer since I have been 19 years old. So I started in the business way back in 1984 uh, at the age of 19. And uh, I've been on mainframe computers ever since. Uh, I've owned a corporation that uh, installed local area networks in the late 80s. And uh, so my, my I've been in technology, not from the beginning, but I learned from guys who made program changes with vacuum hoses and soldering irons. And uh, so, I mean, I, it's, and it's been interesting jumping into uh, the first industry I was in was printing and um, these three-story printers, and we made lottery tickets, the kind that you go to the, you get a scratcher and you scratch it off, off that part that was underneath the scratch was what I was responsible for coding. And um, Oh, wow. That's so interesting. It was. It was a fun job. Um, and I, I, I kind of miss it. You know, we got to wear jeans to work. And, you know, before we had to, the next job I took, I had to start the, with the corporate dress. But as the decades have progressed and from the scratch off lottery tickets, that was the first introduction I had to the IBM PC, and back then it was the 8086, so I was literally on the front lines of all of that tech, and I've seen AS400 come on the market, you know, um, I have built computers with my own hands, and let me tell you, it was god-awful expensive back in the day to do it, and then the technology started changing so fast you couldn't keep up with it, but through it all, I remained a mainframe programmer, and um, out of my 37-year career, 15 of those years were with banks, and uh, I currently do not work for a bank um, because I got to be honest, I think the working for a bank was going to put me in an early grave. The days are 16 hours long, and it's seven days a week, and, you know, um, if you make yourself indispensable, which I have an unfortunate habit of doing, you, you just wind up, they'll, they'll put you in the hospital, they'll work you in the ground, and um, so I, I, I just stepped away from banking, and uh, I've actually gotten quite a few calls um, when it comes to CBDCs and things like that. There's a couple of, uh, of um, vendors who create these packages that are installed on the mainframe that have been calling me trying to, 
you know, lure me away with just ridiculous salaries. Um, and I just didn't want to be a part of this. So, um, and I actually had a conversation last night with someone at one of the banks I used to work with and uh, talked to them about the FedNow uh, software that uh, went live as of yesterday. There are um, 57 certified banks and vendors. And I was surprised at the list of vendors that are out there um, that have uh, participated in creating the FedNow software. And every one of these vendors has their own version of it. But there were a couple that I've actually worked with uh, that were heavy-duty banking. Um, and you can actually find that list if you go out and do a search for um, FedNow uh, and look for uh, certificate certified. Um, you can probably find that list. And there may be, let me know if there are any on there that are uh, British companies because I didn't get a chance to research each one of them. So the company that I used to work for, spoke with a friend last night and uh, they told me that they had installed it and their certification, they had not gotten it yet. So um, the, the very first piece for CBDCs has actually been put in place. And um, the objective is that the Fed wants to be able to move money around just like PayPal or Venmo, which happens, you know, immediately and overnight. So um, the other objective of CBDCs that I dug out based on Jerome Powell's last um, meeting in front of Congress, um, he, he made a very interesting list of items that I don't think that, I, I, I know CBDCs are being designed for control. And um, they also are being designed to replace the current banking system. But this is going to be a slow moving train. None of this stuff is going to happen overnight. Um, the banking laws that are in America are hundreds of years in the making. And there's, there's all sorts of laws about this and that and the other, you know, mailing addresses and um, commercial banking. Um, and two, let me interject quickly. When Glass-Steagall was repealed by Bill Clinton, that opened up the door for investment banks to uh, combine with a regular bank. Glass-Steagall was put in place right after the stock market crash and the 30s and the intention was uh, the, the reason that we had our big 29 crash was due to the fact that banks were just making investments just crazy investments things were crazy then like they are now there's so many parallels between then and now i can't really it's scary how close the parallels are so there were a lot of bankers and investors that were you know I mean, I wouldn't say tulip bulbs, but, you know, um, almost as bad investing in this and that and the other and not having the real money backing what they're doing. And with the crash, people got wiped out. We all know that. So what's going on now comparatively since Glass-Steagall was repealed is that banks have two sides of the house. 
there's always been the investment firms that, you know, every bank has their investment firms. And then there's the regular banking. And that's where everybody's checking savings, loans, things like that. That was a separate entity and it had very strict rules. And that banking part still has those strict rules on the banking end. I had to adhere to those as a computer programmer for the banks. But the investment side of the house now can wrap itself around the regular bank like a piece of kudzu. And, you know, we've got the moral hazard. You know, uh, your, your money's no longer safe in a bank. Um, I actually keep very little money in a traditional bank. Um, well, actually, let me, re- let me restate that. I don't bank with a regular bank. I bank with a credit union because they have, uh, it's a smaller bank and they are, have a, a fewer number of members. And if you, if you are part of a credit union, you're actually part of the owner, you're part owner of the bank. So it's a bit and, like a mutual society then, a bit like a mutual Exactly. Business. Exactly. We call, them, we, call them, we call them building societies, yeah. Okay. So our my credit union is, um, I mean, it's right down the street, and you know who the president is, you know where they're at. I mean, you know, there's something about the fact that you know who's running it, and they well, are it's, accountable it's, it's, to the members. Yeah, I was going to say personal accountability. Exactly. That accountability is there where big corporations and big banks, they just don't have it. So now I keep very little money in the bank. I I pretty much withdraw, you know, whatever's left over at the end of the month. And I go to my, see my coin guy and divide it in half and buy half silver, half gold. If it's available, I've been noticing lately that availability has been a problem. I mean, I walked into his store one day and he had four gold coins and that was it for, you know, normally he had a, a safe, just chock-a-block full. And, uh, so scarcity is, is a thing now. And, um, I'm also very careful because I'm hearing people are buying silver on eBay and there's an awful lot of them that are just fakes you know, just flat out fakes. So I, you know, I would not buy from anybody off of eBay at this point in time. And I remember back when I was a kid, there was a big deal with uh, fake Krugerrands uh, hitting the market, fake gold Krugerrands. And um, so, you know, so I'm always very careful who I buy from. And, um, you know, that, that's just a piece of advice. But I've strayed. So let me get back to the CBDCs. The entire point of FedNow and CBDCs for America. Now, CBDCs are going to be worldwide. Because central banks are, you know, worldwide. It's a worldwide thing. Um, And it's also a World Economic Forum idea. And they actually gave a speech. I read something this morning early um, about some goings on with uh, the World Economic Forum pushing CBDCs last night. Um, There's an attempt by the Federal Reserve, which also, let me point out to people who are not in the know, The Federal Reserve might have the word federal in it, but it is not a government entity. It is privately owned, always has been. Um, Back in the 80s, when I was first learning about money, um, I managed to get a list of owners of the Federal Reserve, and I was quite surprised at who was on there. Goldman Sachs was on there. Lehman Brothers was on there. Lehman Brothers went belly up, and I was always 
confused as to why did Lehman, who was an owner of the Fed, why were they allowed to bankrupt? And um, it made no sense to me whatsoever. Um, and I really um, haven't dug that out. But there were other names, Rothschild, of course. There was a Shandon family. And you don't really hear a whole lot about the Shandons. But uh, they're a very powerful family, and they do everything they can to keep their name scrubbed off of everything. Um, but there were about 50 owners that I saw the list of, you know, uh, and there were a lot of major banks, but uh, individual families. And it was just a surprise. So, and the one thing I do know from um, Danielle DiMartino Booth, um, who worked at the Fed, she imparted some information. And um, if I get this wrong, Danielle, just, you know, I will retract and correct. Um, she stated that the Federal Reserve is the salaries, the buildings, everything is paid for by the American people through their taxes. Any profits that the Federal Reserve make go into the pockets of the owners. They don't cover any of the cost of the Federal Reserve. All the costs are covered by the American people. But it is, you know, just disgusting to me that they don't cover their own cost and, you know, and they pocket all the, but, you know, that's always the way of it. All right, so Jerome Powell, some of the things that he stated makes me believe that the Federal Reserve is going to try to take the CBDC for America and tie it to Bitcoin in order to stay relevant. And Bitcoin is a replacement for both gold and the petrodollar. Now, again, we were on the gold standard until 1971 when Nixon took us off. And let's explore why Nixon did that. We had just come off of the Vietnam War and we were bankrupt. And our dollars were convertible. You could take your dollars to a bank and they would hand you gold for it. And uh, we had, uh, I believe it was France, actually, had a ship parked out in the Hudson with loaded down with dollars and, you know, went and knocked on the bank and go, Hey, can we convert this? And they said, sure, you can convert that. Great. I've got a ship out here. We want to convert it. And it basically would have emptied the vaults. And so the gold window was closed because that type of activity had been going on for a while. And then we were removed from the gold standard by president Nixon. But I want to point out that at the time president Nixon was in office, we had a gentleman named Burns who was the Fed Reserve chairman. And Burns was the only Russian-born, and I do mean Russian-born member chairman that we've ever had. Um, and I kind of wondered how much of a setup was going on. I mean, we had scandals with Watergate and Hillary Clinton got fired from, you know, uh, jobs for being unethical and, you know, participating in Watergate. And I still can't believe to this day during the Clinton presidential campaign, they were actually, the media didn't say a word about Hillary and Watergate, not a word, you know, it was all about Bill and, you know, and I do remember the words, character doesn't matter, record matters. And, you know, they were trying to start the, the, the unethical president situation, which of course has come to its summit. We are at the zenith now with uh, Joe Biden. Um, so 
in 71, after we were taken off the gold standard, shortly after that, the petrodollar came into being. And we basically went to Saudi Arabia and the Emirates and went, hey, if uh, you let us be your war machine, you let us uh, be the ones that uh, we spend our money guarding you and being your military, will you please um, let, you know, let everybody have to buy your oil in dollars. And then the petrodollar was born. Saudi agreed to it. And on April 6th of this year, the petrodollar died. You know, Saudi Arabia made the announcement, but you didn't hear a word about it on mainstream media. Not a word. Most people don't even know the petrodollar is dead. It's funny because the mainstream media is normally so worthy of our trust and respect. You know, I, really, it is, it is strange, you know. So I interrupted you. No, it's okay. It gave me an opportunity to to have a drink. And no, it's not whiskey. It's too early here. It's only uh, eight mid, eight a.m. something. Mid julep. So I mean, you know, Tim, this is funny. Um, I drove through town yesterday, and in a parking lot, there was a photographer taking a photograph of a whole bunch of girls in hoop skirts. Dressed like Gone with the Wind, I, and I nearly wrecked the car. <laughs> it was it was shocking to see that nobody dresses like that. And and just a a cute little story. I worked with a guy once who was uh, a Yankee, and um, and by the way, if you live in the South, we are not Yankees. Yankees are people north of the Mason Dixon. So we had this New York guy. He was a Yankee, not not the ball player. He. Um, told me that when he told his daughter, his family, that they were going to have to move to Alabama to work and uh, live, that his daughter just burst into tears because in her head, she thought that she was going to have to wear hoop skirts and dress like Gone with the Wind now. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, no. Actually, believe it or not, um, Saks Fifth Avenue's corporate headquarters is actually here in Birmingham, Alabama. A lot of people don't know that. Um, you know, so everybody's a little scared. We had this conversation this week among my family. Everybody is scared of Alabama for some reason. And I don't know why, but I don't want to alleviate anybody's fears. I want them to continue to be afraid of Alabama. It's one of the nicest places I've ever lived. People here overall are better educated than where I came from in Georgia. And, um, you know, it, it's just, I live in a lovely neighborhood. One of my next door neighbors to the right is from Shanghai and she's a business owner. She owns Loken, the local uh, Mexican restaurant. Yes, a Chinese person owns the local Mexican restaurant. And on the other side, there's a black couple and they're very nice uh, people. They're both college educated. Um, they, he is a high school principal and she works for a federal uh, intelligence agency. I can't say which one, um, but I mean, very well-educated neighborhood. So, you know, y'all keep on being scared. Please don't come here. And yes, you must wear a hoop skirt. And the other thing is when you cross the state lines, we hand you a set of jumper cables and take your shoes. <laughs> okay. So getting back to CBDC. So the petrodollar died April 6th. And they are scrambling to, you know, they're realizing people are dumping treasuries left and right. Um, nations are dumping treasuries. Um, 
hedge funds are dumping treasuries worldwide and they have to create a need for the dollar and by the you know Jerome said something that shocked me he said that we needed to adhere to Basel 3 which was like he just said what Basel 3 you know if you have an asset like gold um you have to have a one-to-one ratio on your assets and dollars one-to-one ratio so if we attach our cbdc's to bitcoin and the paperwork has been filed i, I read something uh early this morning that the filing had been rejected and the price of uh, you know um Bitcoin fell a little bit, but that jump that, that happened a couple of weeks ago or a week or two ago was due to the news that they were going to try to tie CBDCs to Bitcoin. And there are only 21 million Bitcoin. So the value of one could be pumped to millions of dollars if they actually successfully tie it. And with the one-to-one ratio, if you can jack up the price of the Bitcoin to something absolutely ridiculous, the need for dollars will go through the roof. And that is how I think the Federal Reserve intends to stay relevant based on everything I've read and the tea leaves that I've read. But why would why would the Fed or why would any US entity gift money to current holders of Bitcoin when it could set up a digital currency of its own? Well, here's the thing. There's a stigma attached to the US at the moment. Um, lawlessness is running everywhere. I mean, um, between the the government. Well, it starts at the top. It starts with the Biden international crime family. It does. It does. And um, the stolen election. I mean, we we are just lawless right now. I mean, Biden is not the real president. It is mathematically impossible for him to have gotten eighty six million votes because if you take the number of votes that, um. Trump got and combine that with what Biden got, that's more than the number of living registered voters that are American citizens. So, um, you know, and, and I watched the election that night and I knew at which point, you know, it was about 11 p.m. They started the steal. They froze the numbers for Trump because he broke the algorithm of Dominion. And one thing that I came to realize after that is that the Dominion boxes had been in place literally for decades prior to that. There is no way that Maxine Waters or Pelosi or Adam Schiff or Chuck Schumer or any other of the idiots. I mean, it, it, you know, the, the quality of our government has been just, just on the skids and sliding faster and faster with each passing day. And it occurred to me that in these lower level offices, there's a good chance that Dominion is what kept these people in office all of these years because i mean i know a majority of san francisco is very upset with pelosi and has been for a long time based on locals i mean i I actually lived in san francisco for a short period for work um matter of months and um you know people you had two kinds of people you had people that didn't know what was going on and they were high on something and taking a dump on the street and then you had people that did know what was going on and um they didn't like the way anything was going. And um, a, a lot of them are, you know, have abandoned ship and are fleeing at this point. 
But when you add, when you couple what's going on as, as far as our lawlessness, you know, we're living in an age of weaponized stupidity and mental illness. They've weaponized it. And the liberal left has just taken over. Uh, the Some of the rulings coming out of lower level courts have just been obviously wrong and bought and, you know, um, I don't know about how your courtrooms work there, but in a here, in our courtrooms, the judge can do anything he wants, and I mean anything. He can put somebody, he can just look at somebody and say, take them, you know, take them away, put them in cuffs without, without any reason whatsoever. You know, he can, he can do whatever he wants in that courtroom. He is a sovereign. Um, and you know, if somebody, you know, he can order someone to get up and strip and take all their clothes off and have to sit like that in court or, you know, just anything he says goes and that's how it has to be. And so whenever you finally get to the level of locals abusing that, and there's always been a bit of abuse here and there and, and, you know, thumbs on scales, but it is so blatant now. Um, and everybody, I mean, even some of the dumbest people I know are starting to sit up and take notice that something is very, very wrong. And, um, but I do sense wind shifting. In the last several months, we've had things from the higher courts um, occur that make me have a little bit of hope that things are shifting and people, are, people know what's going on. And and the other thing that I want to bring up, you know, we the mafia does exist in America, and we don't have just one. There is an Asian mafia, there is a Russian mafia, there's an Italian, they're, they're everywhere. When you start messing with people's money the way that the Federal Reserve plans to do and the World Economic Forum plans to do, they are not taking into account when you mess with somebody's money. You just took your life in your own hands. The mafia will identify and, and alleviate some of these things. Uh, they will take care of people who are causing a problem for them. And because when we get to banking, the point of CBDCs is control. Well, how do you control half the country that doesn't bank? They deal in cash. You know, the mafia deals in cash. Uh, illegals, cash, poor people, cash. They can't, poor people can't have a, they can't have a checking account. Their credit is too bad. You do realize that in America, in order to even have a checking account, you must have good credit. They can turn you down and you, you know, you can't just walk in a bank and say, I want an account. They will check, run your credit. And if you don't have good credit, they'll say, I'm sorry, you're too, you're too big of a risk. And there are credit ratings within the banks. You know, if you, continue to bounce checks or, or do things over and over, they'll just flat out close your account. And whenever, you know, inflation is so high that people can barely afford to keep up, um, you know, there are few, there are more and more people falling, you know, below the lines of people that can actually have checking accounts. I mean, it's the perfect storm of, you know, theory by the World Economic Forum, in fact, that's going to come into play. And people are not going to just lay down and take this. There will be a certain point at which scales are tipped. And then, I don't know, I can't even fathom what's going to happen. But I can tell you that there are other powers 
in this country besides the deep state, besides politicians, and those powers at some point will stand up and go, enough, I've had enough, and anybody who's a problem will be removed one way or another. So the Fed Now program, just for people mm-hmm. who don't know about that, could you just explain a little bit about what, what that is? Okay, so the Fed Now uh, went live yesterday, July 1st, 2023. And it is a method of moving money around. And right now, the Fed Now program is only for other banks, large commercial customers, and probably top-end customers. It's a way of moving money 24 hours a day. Now, on the bank side of the house, FedNow is a, is a separate, different part of the bank. The other side of the house where the actual traditional bank sits, where all the laws, regulations, decide what can and can't be done. FedNow has its own set of rules. They do not follow the regular rules. So on the traditional side of the house, regular people use that and regular people for the moment are going to continue to use that. And I'm still trying to get... um, I've, I've got a guess that at least one of the vendors that I am... Uh, was talking about, I'm not sure if it was FIS or Fiserv. Um, I'm sure one of those vendors is probably using a mainframe to, 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 to you know, truck data and money from point A to point B. And the way FedNow works is it's a hosting system. So all of these vendors that are on the vendor list have provided a hosting service. Now, some of them might be non-mainframe, but I can tell you the hosting services that they chose to go non-mainframe are going to be some of the first ones to go belly up because only a mainframe has the power in order to handle millions of transactions a day. I've done the math on this and the decisions that they've made to stick with um, corporations and just large customers to move money around is probably the right decision. And on the other side of the house, the only thing that you can get at a bank if you're a large corporation right now is wire transfers. And they happen every day at the exact same time. They're not instantaneous. And FedNow offers an instantaneous movement of money from point A to point B. Now, I don't know about if it goes from point A to point B and you your point B is wrong because somebody at the bank keyed it in wrong, or the customer keyed it in wrong. I don't know if it's like Bitcoin where you can't undo it. So I don't know that yet. Actually, I'm probably going to call one of these and pretend to be a customer and get them to run it down for me so that I can get my arms around exactly. You know, I'll probably wind up calling half the list and, you know, talk to some of the salesmen and get them to tell me what kind of equipment are you using. Um, and I could tell you, and then I'll know who to short as far as, uh, you know, options are concerned after talking to them. So I know that at some point the CBDC train intends to move towards regular people, but 
let's be honest, they don't really need CBDCs to shut somebody down. I was going to say, nobody wants CBDCs except the central banks are trying to implement them. Exactly. So, I mean, when we had the Canadian uh, truckers, you know, and people were donating money, they were walking around freezing people's bank accounts, taking their money, shutting them down. You know, I mean, control is already there. Kanye West, he's the best example I've got. He was a billionaire until he said something wrong. And the moment he said something wrong, he was assigned a handler and his money disappeared. I mean, I don't think he's flat broke. I think they left him a few million. But they just flat out took his money to get him back in line. So to, to, to cut to the chase on, on all of this, Dixie, what, what, what needs to happen to basically stop this global communistic coup against the people of the earth? I honestly think that it is going to be eliminated naturally. I mean, it's it's a predator-prey situation as far as money goes. And when you deal with money, it's the most vicious of predators and prey. While CBDCs have governments and militaries behind them, you know, excuse me, sinuses, they're draining. So every now and then have to drink something. While CBDCs have governments and militaries behind them, it only takes a small dedicated group to change the hearts and minds of these people. You know, it's really easy to hurt people when you can't be hurt yourself. Wealthy people forget what it's like to not have money. Wealthy people forget what it's like to not have privilege. They forget what it's like to not be able to afford to go to the doctor or shoes for your children or food. They will learn very quickly what it's like to feel pain again if they push things too far. Right now, you know, I'm actually surprised we've moved from the conceptual phase to the install, although I've known about FedNile for years. Um, And it's funny because there's one person at the bank that I talked to last night that had no idea that FedNile had been installed because he's not involved. And uh, that's generally a rule at banks. If you're not involved, then you don't need to know what we're doing. You know, we don't discuss, you know, in the hallways what we're working on. That, that's a cardinal rule. Um, it, pretty much a cardinal rule in anywhere in corporations. So the company I work for now um, is healthcare. And, you know, we have to keep people's privacy uh, is the utmost thing. So, I mean, you know, even if we work on the same project together, you know, we don't discuss it. You know, if it's a business need only, and that happens at banks as well. So there's another twist to this that I found quite interesting in while I've been digging around. So I know in the UK, the post office is pretty much like a hangout for locals in some places. I think they have video games and people will go in and people go to the post office for all sorts of reasons in the UK. They go to pay bills for some utilities. Um, You know, the post office has a lot of functions other than delivering mail. Well, that's not been the case in America. For, from its inception, the post office basically just delivered mail. And then they just delivered packages, you know, and then FedEx stepped in and started delivering packages and forcing the post office to get competitive. Um, There was a time when If you wanted a passport, you had to go to a passport office, which meant you had to go to generally 
the um, one of two major cities in the state that you lived in. If you lived in Atlanta, you'd go there. I live in Birmingham. I'd go here. I'd go to Montgomery and go to a passport office. Well, at some point, a couple of decades ago, somebody in the government said, hey, why don't we let post offices start doing passports? So not all post offices, but within 10 miles of where I live, there's a post office where I can go and apply for a passport or renew my passport. I just have to walk in the door with the passport photos made already, which you can get those done at the corner drugstore. And in digging around, I have found out, um, and it was, it was completely by accident. Um, you know, recently I went to Europe, as you guys know, and, um, I was thinking about taking some of my cash and converting it to euros and, getting some um, British pound sterling. So I went out to the internet and said, you know, you know, I wanted to see what bank converted it because the bank I, that I normally did that with downtown had moved locations. So I needed to find um, a different place. And it said the post office. And it was a jaw-dropping moment for me. I'm like, the post office exchanges currencies? Now that is something I didn't know. And I've only known about this for a couple of months. And I am beginning to think that part of the plan for the um, United States government is to marry the Federal Reserve and the post office. Because think about it. We, so my, okay, so you need to know this about me. Over half my family works for the postal service and the other half are cops. Um, the postal service side in in, in the 1960s and 70s, my grandmother was the uh, secretary to the Postmaster General in Decatur, Georgia. And um, we lived in downtown Atlanta in, in Decatur at the, uh, at the time. And um, I was born in 65, so I was just a, a child. And when my brothers and sisters that were older were in school and mom needed to run errands, she would take me to the post office and drop me off with my grandma and leave me there and go run errands. And so um, I actually sat in on a lot of postal meetings, believe it or not. And one of the postal meetings that I sat in in the 1960s and early 70s was a plan to make sure that every address in America was unique. They wanted you to only have to have the street address um, because nothing was computerized at that time. Not really. Everything was uh, due to the handlers. And postals, postal workers get a, a lot of whining and complaining. But back in the day, they, they had in their heads the names of every person on their route. And so letters would come in and they would, you know, not be addressed properly. And they would just know by the name or some tiny little bit of information. I remember once mailing something to a friend of mine. I got his name right but I put down the wrong street address and the wrong street number, but I got the, the city right. And um, he called me and said, I cannot believe this was delivered. You know, it, it actually got here. And I'm like, yeah, the postal workers really, you know, especially the local carriers are really quite good at this. So I sat in on a postal meeting. Um, I have an incredible memory. I remember my diapers being changed. I have one of those types of memories. So I was sat in on this meeting where they were discussing how to make it so that all you had to have was the street address and the street number. And over the decades, 
zip codes have been changed and street addresses have been changed. And there is, at this point in time, there's only one 100 Main Street. There might be thousands of Main Streets in America, but there's only one 100 Main Street. There's one 101 Main Street. And that was decades and decades of planning on the part of the post office. And I'm pretty sure they were acting at the behest of the government. Right now, I get an email from the post office every day because I went out and signed up years ago. They have this service that they provide where you can see what's coming to your mailbox and they literally photograph every single piece of mail that I get, which is a little scary. I remember being shocked and scared and a little upset when I found out about that, that they're photographing my mail. But then, you know, in the guise of being helpful, I signed up for the service to have an email delivered to me daily so that I could see what pieces of mail I'm supposed to get. And if a piece of mail doesn't show up, I can actually go out on the website and click, I didn't get this. And, you know, they'll go on the hunt for it. Um, I'm thinking that with the technology they've poured into the postal service, they know where everybody lives. They know who lives there. They know who gets mail there. And when you combine all the power of all of that information with what they want to do with CBDCs, things get a whole lot scarier. So there was a time, you know, before TurboTax and electronic filing of tax forms that on January 1st, we didn't get mail because the post office was closed because it was New Year's Day. But on January 2nd, what would land in your mailbox would be your tax forms. There would be a booklet and everybody got one. Everybody in America on January 2nd got the tax form booklet. And... Um, they knew which one you needed, if you needed the 1040EZ, if you need the more complex ones. And then um, I think, and two, there have been notices that you receive where all of a sudden everybody in America will get a piece of mail that came from the government about this or that or the other. So all of the pieces that need to make CBDCs happen are in place now, especially with FedNow in yesterday. But it's going to be a slow-moving train. It takes time to gear up. They've got to get some of these first transactions, I'm sure went through yesterday, but they've got to get these transactions through, get them working. Um, I don't know if they intend to provide statements like a banking a bank account and does. I don't know what kind of um, return, you know, I sent money to the wrong place. I need to get it back. I don't know what the rules are on pulling that back yet. I'm in the process of trying to figure that out. But it's a little bit terrifying that the government has this much power. So someone who's unbanked, the post office is going to be able to report back to the government, well, this address doesn't get a bank statement. So they're unbanked, obviously. And does that mean that the government's going to focus all its efforts on that household and get them a FedNow account at some point? And just, you know, it shows up in the mail. You've been signed up. You know, they know the names of everybody in that household thanks to the mail. Um, here, you, here you are, you know, Father John, Mother Mary, Sister Susie, and Brother uh, Wesley. Here are all of your accounts that you need. Um, 
we've signed you up and here's the rules and you have to close, you know, you obviously don't have any bank accounts. So, and, and two, down in the fine print, there's going to be, if you use this account, then you're not allowed to have a regular checking and savings account. That's a possibility. There could be another possibility that if you use this account and you accept the money that we deposit in your account, the ownership of your home upon you moving or dying transfers to the government. That's a scary thought, but it's also a possibility. I've chewed through this quite a bit. Okay, I'm going to hush for a minute. <laughs> Do you think there's any possibility that there are lots of things happening behind the scenes of which we have little or no appreciation? For yes. example, that certain key characters in this gigantic fraud are being taken out. You know, I have a feeling since the winds have been changing in the last several months that there's some of that is going on. The number of actors and actresses um, that have disappeared or passed away at a young age uh, have been phenomenal. And um, there's a, a, gosh, I can't remember his name. There's a, a comedian recently, a comedian and an actor that did not want to take the shot and took the shot. And uh, he, he was in bad shape right after that. Um, you know, I, yeah, I think there's targeting and I think there's targeting going on in more ways than just a bad COVID shot. But here's the thing. Americans are not stupid. The problem with Americans is that we are too nice and we are too generous. Most Americans, you know, they will give you the shirt off their back if you need help. They will come to your rescue. They will help you. Not all, but a majority. Um, the problem with the whole COVID lockdown thing is that they took advantage of our being nice. That will not happen a second time. Everybody knows that the lockdowns were crap and that it was designed. Everybody knows everything. And people have, you know, 9-11 was an inside job. There are way more people now. I remember having a discussion a couple of years ago with a friend of mine that was an ex-military and I told him 9-11 was an inside job and he was like, no, it wasn't, you know, good, blah, 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 and on and on and on. And, and I said, okay, so tell me how many buildings fell on 9-11. And he went, the World Trade Center, the two buildings. And I went, uh-uh-uh, buddy, three buildings fell and one fell at 5.30 p.m. and no plane hit it. And did you notice that these things pancake down and do you have any idea how much thermite all you had to do was walk anywhere in new york city and get a soil sample and there was going to be thermite in it from these explosions that were you know planned and um i did some research and I, i've seen all the videos and I, i'm civil air patrol i'm a pilot and i was a part of the civil air patrol for a very long time i know what a plane crash site looks like and the one that happened in, in Philadelphia, in the field, it didn't look right at all. There was a burn spot, there was a whole lot of trash, and there was an empennage. An empennage is the tail section of the plane, and it gets that name because the Wright brothers 
of America and North Carolina invented the airplane, but the French made it better by inventing the empennage. And the empennage is a matter of using the rudders and the tail section to fly the plane and get it to move in the directions you wanted to. And that made commercialized flight possible. But a perfectly okay empennage was just set there. Uh, the Pentagon, I actually saw a video of what to me looked like a rocket launcher fired into the building. I couldn't see the rocket launcher. I saw what something go by very fast from a low level of maybe five feet off the ground. That would be a rocket launcher on somebody's shoulder. When I've looked at the wreckage of the Pentagon, I have not seen one airplane. And how in the world did an airplane maneuver that low and come in at that direction? I mean, if you just look at the area, it's impossible. I mean, there were so many things that were just done without a whole lot of thought. I do know they found asbestos in the World Trade Center and that replacing all of the asbestos and getting the building cleaned up, the cost was going to be unbelievably high. And I know that was one of the reasons that the government never does anything just for one reason. So I know that was one of the reasons that the government probably went along and helped out with 9-11 and created all of these problems. And I do know that in the building that fell at 5 p.m., that was actually a CIA building, and there's no telling what was destroyed in that building. Um, just into the, the mainstream media had a, an agenda, and, and, and that was probably the first time in America that people started getting, I think people bought it, hook, line, and sinker, the 9-11 story, but then afterwards, it's like COVID. They started going, wait a minute. Something's not adding up. And whenever somebody who, you know, destroys buildings for a living goes, well, that's charges. That was, that was nothing. No structure pancakes into its own footprint. The odds of that are astronomically high. The odds of it happening twice are even higher. And the odds of it happening three times in a row on the same day is impossible. You know, so... Once all the evidence started adding up and people started really analyzing what happened, there are an awful lot of people now that, that realize that 9-11 was an inside job. And just like COVID was not that big of a deal, most people got COVID from the shots and tainted PCR tests. Um, that's the belief currently. What advice would you give to someone who's looking to try and protect their life savings, valuable capital, et cetera, et cetera? Well, the only thing that I would suggest is what I'm doing, gold, mm. gold, silver. That's really all you can do. It, it may not be a um, currency again, but he here's another part to the puzzle that the World Economic Forum is not taking into account. The BRIC nations, you know, uh, America has weaponized the SWIFT system, and they've been doing that for decades. And about a decade ago, when I was working at a bank, you know, I saw a blurb about um, Eastern nations starting their own SWIFT system. And, and so they did, they built it and it's been in place for a long time. And because of the West weaponizing every little thing that it had and sanctions and blah, 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 you know, the East and the BRIC nations have built their own. They don't need us for anything anymore. And, um, they have stockpiled gold. I know central banks have been stockpiling gold. The amount of gold that is 
been purchased in the last five years by just the central banks has been astronomical. Um, there's quite a bit of gold in Russia, and I'm pretty sure that uh, you know they have an, an an impressive stockpile. Meanwhile, back in the West, somebody like Warren Buffett says, "Oh, it's a barbaric relic, and Canada sells all the gold it's got," you know, out of foolishness. Warren Buffett also tried to corner the market in silver and got his ass handed to him. So I think you can say that Warren Buffett sometimes speaks with forked tongue. Yes. Yes, he does. Warren Buffett was told to sell his silver back, and he did. But, too, there was the Hunt Brothers before that back in the 80s. So back in 1981, I think that silver hit $50 an ounce, and that was due to the, the Hunt Brothers cornering the market. Well, what happened was that they had a set of rules. They played by the rules, and they were cornering the market. So the government changed the rules and bankrupted the Hunt Brothers. And ever since then, the government has realized that Americans still see silver and gold as money, and they have been suppressing the price in the paper markets. And, you know, I, I have been waiting. I started collecting precious metals decades ago. And, uh, I mean, I, I bought my first silver corn for $4. You cannot buy – the paper price yesterday was $22. You cannot buy an ounce of silver for $22. It's going to cost you about 45 And um, if you're a real good customer of somebody and they've got an old stash, you might be able to get it for 42 But um, the paper price and the physical price have separated where silver is concerned. It's a little closer with gold, you're, but you're still going to pay a minimum of $100 to $200 premium on gold if you go to the coin shop. So, so you were making a point. Um, about the post office, if I could just come back to that. Mm -hmm. And you were saying about how um, they could tell whether you were getting a bank statement as to whether you were banked or not. But many people don't get bank statements simply because they bank online and are paperless. So how would that... Surely there'd be another way that they'd know whether someone's banked or not by um, mm -hmm. the number of addresses that they've got in a database. And, I mean, I don't... I don't know whether the government knows whether, what bank account you actually have, but it seems like a bit of a roundabout way to find out. Well, you know, you, you've made an excellent point there because um, I still, as half of my statements are electronic and half of mine are delivered. Um, there are almost 5,000 individual banks in the United States of America. So for the government to go and locate who you bank with, they will start with what banks are in your local area. But if you have somebody that's like a transplant from Ohio, you know, you may have to trace them back through their mail back to Ohio to find out what bank they're with. Um, there was a time I had um, bank accounts in several states. I had, I had one in Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, and that was due to some... I, I just spent a lot of time in each of those states, and it was just, you know, something I did. And um, so, yeah, they would have a, a little bit of a time, a time going and, and figuring that out. But if they could figure out what bank you were with, um, they could easily, you know, figure out your, your income and outgo. Um, you know, I mean, they're really – the government's really not following any laws anymore. I mean um, – it, it, and the amount of information available on you um, is shocking. 
Uh, I remember uh, it was a couple of years ago. I went out and applied for something. I don't remember what it was, and I had to verify who I was. And this place threw up what tag numbers on your car and had a list of five plate numbers. And I actually had to go out to the garage because I didn't have it memorized and look. But it was a shock that this place had my tag numbers. And there was a, a, a job that I applied for years ago. And that's been maybe five years ago. And I went in to get a blood test. Because I work with money and I'm a mainframe programmer, most companies, before they hire you, they're going to take give you, put you through a drug test here. And um, there was a time that I got drug tested randomly several times a year, along with everybody else. Um, but when I went for this particular drug test, I had brought all my prescriptions, had them in a bag. And so I went in and, you know, gave them the sample that they wanted. And I, I pulled out my Ziploc bag and said, I've got all my prescriptions here. And they go, we don't need it. We have it all right here. I went, what do you mean you have it all right here? It's right here on my computer. And I'm like, you have the information from my drug stores and my doctors right here on your computer. And they went, yep. And they listed off every drug that I took. And it was jaw dropping. And it was, it, it was scary. And I've had a lot of scary moments like that from the car tag to, you know, what drugs I've got to the fact that, you know, what mail I'm getting in from who. There's an awful lot going on behind the scenes. And at some point, the government will do what's dead level best to leverage everything it knows about you to get you in line. Um, all of us fell for the 23 and me. Not all of us, but a bunch of us. I fell for it. Um, I had a... a, a a burning desire to know, you know, what heritage I had. So, you know, you get the 23andMe kit and you spit into it and send it in and they'll send you back the access to the database and, and on paper your uh, profile. And um, because I did that, I had someone who worked for the government that I met at a wedding of all things. And this wedding was January, 18 months ago. And at this wedding, he told me, you do realize since you've done that, that they actually can create a medicine that would kill just you, an individual medicine, whether it's a pill or an aerosol spray. And, uh, you know, I can't say much more than that because I don't want to get that gentleman in trouble. Um, but that's possible now. It, it is quite frightening. So, uh, life imitates art, I suppose, because that's that's part of the plot of the James latest James Bond film, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and two. I mean, there was that film. Um, let's see, it was one of the the Brown books. Um, oh, Da Vinci Code type. Da, things. That's it. That's it. The Da Vinci Code type books where they released this chemical into the air to sterilize people that had a marker in their, you know, DNA so that they would be sterilized and not know it, never have children and not know it. Now, I want to address something. The world is not overpopulated. If you took everyone in the world, stood them shoulder to shoulder, they would fit inside the state of Arkansas here in the U.S., which is one of the smaller states. 
That's not that many people. It would be different if you stood them shoulder to shoulder and they filled up California. That's a little bit bigger. But still, even if they filled up California, because Arkansas would be about a third of, of California, even if you, you did that, it's still, that's not a lot of people. This planet is huge. Um, the temperature, the climate is determined by our rotation around the sun, period. If you're a farmer's kid, which I am, you know that if we're too close to the sun, you're going to have a hard time with the crops. You're going to burn up this year. Everybody gets the farmer's almanac, which the farmer's almanac uses solar plotting to figure out what the temperatures are going to be that year. I mean, it's extraordinarily accurate. And everybody always wondered, ooh, is it? I remember as a kid, somebody going, I think it's witchcraft. It was not. It was somebody that was plotting the Earth's track around the sun and figuring out the tilt of the Earth. I mean, it was a, a genius person that was doing that. But if we traveled too close to the sun that year, we had to plant early and harvest early. Or you had to do a late planting, you know, probably September and then, you know, it was probably because it was going to be hot right into December. I remember wearing shorts in December for many years in a row where we do a late har- late planting and harvest. Um, or, you know, you, you spent the money on the irrigation systems where you watered several times a day. If we got a little bit far away, like now, you know, we're a little further away this year. So it really didn't get hot in, in the 90s consistently until last week where I live. And it was June. And normally we hit the 90s in May. And um, it has been a lot cooler this year. And it's because of the fact that we are a little further away from the sun. And we don't have to be that much further away. But just the slight, you know, rotation out and in is what causes climate. So the fact that they're saying that climate change is doing this and climate change is doing that, it is... That is such a nothing burger. You know, uh, humans cannot affect the planet's climate. The environment is another story. We can pollute our environment. We can poison our water using pesticides. Um, And, you know, somebody's out on their sidewalk putting weed killer down instead of going out with a weed eater or getting a trowel and trying to get that up by hand like we used to do before all of these chemicals came about. Um, the last 50 years has seen an awful lot of modernization of how we grow food. Fertilizers um, have made it possible for us to feed way more people. So as far as population goes, we're not overpopulated. And the only thing that would cause a problem with us being able to feed people has to do with the fact that they are trying to eliminate our ability to get and use fertilizers. And, you know, natural gas is one of the components of fertilizers. And we get a lot of that from um, Russia. And so when you stop fertilizers from being able to go to a farmer, you know, that's a problem. But here locally, as soon as it was announced that fertilizers might be hard to come by. All the local farmers started talking to people who had horse farms and cows, and they started talking about using manure like they used to do in order to fertilize. I mean, humans are not just going to sit there and take it, and that's what places like the World Economic Forum never takes into account, that we're just going to sit here watching television 
and eating McDonald's until, you know, they come to get us and put us on the trains. That's not going to happen. Humans are pretty flexible. Uh, there might be a percentage of the population that, that does that. But overall, especially older people, um, especially people like me who have lived through an awful lot and, and seen all the changes in my lifetime. I mean, I remember when stamps were 10 cents and I went out to the mom gave me a certain amount of money and I was six years old and I walked into the post office by myself and came back out and said, she said, you need another 25 cents or, or whatever for the book of stamps she wanted because the price went up and that price had not gone up in, in years. And uh, so, I mean, I've watched this evolution. Now that same stamp is 65 cents, which is ridiculous. Um, so there, there, there's an awful lot of things that world economic farming is just not taken into consideration. And the American government and governments worldwide are not taken into consideration. People aren't fools. People are not stupid. Um, a bunch of us are very well educated and we will fight tooth and nail back. But when you make it impossible for us to zig or zag for whatever you just flung at us, we will come up with another way to get around whatever wall you've built in front of us. We'll crawl over the walls until you make it impossible for us to do that. And at that point, I'd say the mafia probably will beat us to, you know, taking care of people who have been a problem and are causing uh, people not to be able to feed their kids or go to work. So this podcast would get you banned on YouTube at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't matter because we're not on there anymore. <laughs> I know. I don't know where to put my comments now that you're not on YouTube. Spotify. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Spotify is. Um, we're we're is we're just we're just um, te teasing them for um, ahead of ahead of getting our our Joe Rogan esque uh, podcast gig. <laughs> okay, Alexa, turn on pickles. Sorry, I had to turn my lights on. They all went off on me. I have my I have a smart house, so um, if somebody walks in front of one of my cameras, it turns on certain lights on in the house, and then at the top of the hour, it turns them off. So. I'm just trying to wrap my head around Tim's question about um, why would the central bank, because I, I want to tap into your expertise in the banking system. And w when Tim asked why would they not create their own CBDC rather than tying it to Bitcoin, I'm not sure I fully uh, understood the answer. I don't, uh, think I, gave a, I don't think I gave a full answer. I think okay. I, I veered off onto something else. All right, so FedCoin actually has been a thing. Uh, in discussion, you can go out to the government website. You can just type in FedCoin in um, a U USA or FedCoin government, and it'll probably pull up a .gov website. They are talking about a FedCoin, excuse me, and they will. Um, they are trying to 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 create one, but here's the problem: FedCoin comes with a stigma, and that's where I went off on uh, off on my tangent. The United States government, the world knows that it is a false government, that the election was stolen, and that a crime family is in the White House, and that you cannot trust the United States anymore. The whole world knows that. Why on earth would anybody buy a FedCoin? And I think FedCoin was the original thing that they were going to tie themselves to until they realized that nobody was going to buy it. So that's why I think they're trying to hitch their wagon to Bitcoin. 
Right. Okay. But but there's so many ways, aren't there, to make people adopt a certain technology. Um, for example, back in the back in the day that that um, you all know about this history, before people used credit cards, you had um, AmeriCard, which mm-hmm. which was a card that they just gave to people with. I think a certain amount for them to spend free two hundred dollars or whatever it was, which then turned into Visa as we know now, mm-hmm. and they got over that that sort of well, why would we use it if if they were to airdrop or whatever it is a card or 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 something, uh, or say well look you don't have to pay this amount of tax, what we'll do is we'll give it back to you as a CBDC won't they get people that way? Wouldn't that be a creative way of, of, of mm-hmm. enticing people to start using this, their new currency? Exactly. So it, it, they might try to say, I can pay you only in CBDC, but if you don't have a CBDC account, you can't get your money. And it depends upon who you're doing business with. You know, I mean, there could be that year that everybody files their taxes and in order to get their refunds, it has to be CBDC. And that would be one way that they could hook people in and then somehow yank your regular bank account away from you. So that's a possibility. Or a crisis. Mm-hmm. Or the coming crisis, I should say. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed UFOs are in the news a lot lately? Uh, that's going to be the next thing, I think, to try to scare people. Because here's the thing. With covid When you upset people who are not very smart, who, you know, are still scared to go out of their house, you can't unring that bell of fear of somebody. There are still a lot of people I see riding around in cars with the occasional person with their mask on in the car and they're by themselves. Um, But the other thing is there's the flip side of that is that when people find out that it was all a farce, you made it all up, and not only that, you infected people with this giant genocidal experiment, you know, and you ignored the Nuremberg, Nuremberg Code completely. You can't, you can't unring that bell either. That trust in government is officially gone. There are not very many Americans that I know of that trust the government. Um, there, there, there are some you know, that are older, that, you know, have never really had to, they, they didn't work, their husband paid for paid for them, and they were a housewife or something like that. Those types of people still believe what they're told. But most people who have to get out and hustle and make a living, um, you know, you destroyed the businesses that people ran. And um, you infected someone's child, and, and now they're COVID injured. You killed someone's husband or wife with a COVID shot, you can't unring that bell either. So the amount of trust is gone. So it is going to be by chicanery and trickery that CBDC is a success. And personally, I feel like it, unless they they take it at a slow freight freight train period of time or move at the speed of smell, that it is going to be impossible to trick that many people into using the system. They're going to have to come up with something. And another scare tactic that they haven't used yet is UFOs. And what's funny is they finally announced UFOs exist. And, and most Americans were like, duh, you know, so what? You know, they, they can't 
really use that as a fear tactic because, you know, I've got an uncle that had not one, not two, but three different UFO experiences. And he told me about them and I believe him. I've never seen anything. So I don't know, you know, I, I haven't seen it with my, I'm a, I, I need to see things with my own eyes, but I know my uncle, he doesn't lie. So I know he's had experiences and I'm sure there've been, you know, and he lives in Georgia and he was in Georgia at the time. And these experiences were in the 1960s, you know, so yeah. I'm sure there are plenty of people like that all over the place. So, you know, I think UFOs might be the next scare tactic and it might work on younger people. But I, I don't think it's going to work on older people. Just just to pick up on one point, um, it, if I may, it sounded contradictory because you were saying that COVID was nothing, but then you were saying it was genocidal it, and it, couldn't, it can't be both. Okay, so in the beginning, everybody was fooled. I was fooled. I was listening to, watching Twitter posts, and um, I knew that it started in Wuhan. And uh, I was watching Twitter posts, and I was following some doctors, and they were actually trading samples. And then all of a sudden, within a few months, in December, some of these doctors just stopped posting. And then they started, you know, scaring the hell out of everybody, saying, we need to flatten the curve, we got to do this and that and the other, and everybody complied. But then nobody got sick. And they were like, don't go to the hospital. You know, the hospitals are going to be full. And everybody has a nurse in the family. And I mean, everybody has a nurse in the family. And then word started getting out that the emergency rooms were empty. And the hospitals were empty. And people were going with video cameras to New York City into hospitals and walking in with a camera and going, there's nobody here. There's nobody here. You know, so in the beginning, it scared the hell out of everybody. And there were some people that once scared, they were not going to be unscared. They, they were always going to remain frightened of this. But when, and, and, and two, they would see footage of someone at a hospital and the, the emergency rooms are empty and they wouldn't believe it. They would say, oh, well, they made that up. You know, I, I mean, they, people, some people would rather be wrong with a bad COVID shot in their arm than to admit that they are that that they, than to admit that they did something wrong or you know I mean there are just people like that. So in the beginning you scared the hell out of a number of people. But then as time progressed and nurses in the family were like, there's nobody at the hospital. There's nobody there. Nobody's sick. But then the shots came out. Now here's the thing. Let's do the math on the shots. All of a sudden, in a matter of months, they had a, quote, cure, and millions of shots were ready to go. Do you know how long it takes to make up a million vaccines? I mean, just to get ready for flu season in the winter for, you know, they, they only make so many doses and distribute those around, and they, they're only good for so long. But to make a million doses for, for uh, the winter flu that's coming for older people, it would take months just to come up with a million doses. And suddenly they had all of these shots ready, millions of them. The, when I started looking into that, and I, I think everybody needs to do their own research on that. Go do your own research. When you go and see how long it takes to actually create a vaccine and develop a certain number of shots, I think that the shots were ready to go. 
before they, you know, all of the time they spent, quote, researching wasn't really researching. It was just making shots that were, and I think there was a percentage of them that were just complete sailing because they didn't have enough to go around. And I think there was a percentage of them that contained COVID. And I think there was a percentage of them that were whatever they had in the refrigerator because they couldn't have everybody have the exact same thing now, could they? But, so, yeah, as, as an explanation for that, surely in a normal year, it wouldn't be a priority, but it was a priority. So, um, I mean, it normally takes a certain amount of time to do anything in a normal year. But if you put all your resources into something and make it a priority, it can be done quicker. I'm not saying that that's, that's what happened, but surely timescales can be reduced as an explanation because of priority. Well, everybody that I know that took the shot has something wrong with them. Um, my best friend, I, I begged her. She wanted to go on a cruise, a cruise. And she went and she and her husband both went and got a COVID shot. And when I'm on the phone with her every single day now, it's something else and something else and something else. And she's going to the doctor and going to the doctor. She's vaccine injured, but she doesn't want to hear it because thinking that she went and willingly got this shot would absolutely probably cause her some mental issues. And there are an awful lot of people like her. Um, you know, even though I begged her and told her that, you know, she said, well, we booked this cruise two years ago. We've got to go, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, just just eat the money. And for people like her eating, you know, like saving up for something like that. It was a trip of a lifetime. And, you know, because she doesn't have the income that I do. And so cancellation was just out of the question. But, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So, you know, I know it sounded contradictory, but there's a percentage of people who are scared still to this day that you are not ever going to be able to, to logically get them to listen to reason or facts and get them to get over being frightened that the air of the outside is going to kill them or just, you know, not being six feet away from people is going to hurt them. But then there are people who have seen friends and family die or be COVID injured. My mechanic for the, you know, I have, I have a, fleet of vehicles and some of them are collector's editions and there I had a mechanic that could only work on those and he got the shot and died and now I don't have a mechanic for that I actually have to go to Georgia to get these cars taken you know put them on a flatbed and drive them a couple hundred miles in order to get them serviced um I'm one of those people and there are you know I, I have a lot of friends and I know a lot of people and I work with a lot of people um that know better um, at the time that they were trying to force us to take the shots at work. Here, here in Alabama, the lockdowns were not that bad. The first couple of weeks, everybody complied. And then Walmart opened, and then you had to have a mask, and they had these plastic stickers on the floor where you had to walk in a certain direction. You couldn't back up, or, you know, if you needed to go down a certain aisle, then you had to, you know, pretty much go all the way back around and start over in order to get what you forgot to put in your buggy. And um, within a month, people started taking their mask off because they were like, nobody's sick. My sister's a nurse. There's nobody at the, at the uh, emergency room. She says there's nobody. The hospital's almost empty. 
Then they started having layoffs at hospitals. They didn't report it in the media. You just knew about it because your friend who was a nurse got laid off. You know, so the evidence started to mount. And then you started hearing yet another story and yet another story. So then all of a sudden you have people divided completely in two camps of people who bought it hook, line, and sinker and people who know they bought it hook, line, and sinker and their business is now gone because they were locked down for way longer and they couldn't afford to pay the rent or their employees and they're out of business and, you know, facing bankruptcy, you know, um, and their friends and family know the story of that. So there's two camps, but yeah. So I know it sounded like I contradicted myself, but I didn't. Does that clear it up? Yeah. Um, in the UK at the moment, we, we've got a, inverted commas, COVID inquiry going on. Is there something similar happening in America? Yes. Yes. Um, there are lawsuits that are being filed. And, um, and and for a while there, you couldn't file a lawsuit, you know, but there are lawsuits. I mean, they made it so that the manufacturers of these shots um, couldn't be sued. And uh, so... The lawsuits are hitting um, other people, you know, people who made decisions and institutions that, uh, you know, that there's always a target that you can hit. The people who gave the word, gave the go ahead. Um, but there's one, one interesting point I want to bring up. We had three shots available, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. Well, the Johnson & Johnson didn't have mRNA in it. And they didn't explain mRNA to most people. Most people lined up and got the shot. That's part of the Nuremberg Code. You did not explain that this could change your DNA. There was no informed consent. Exactly. So the Johnson & Johnson did not have mRNA. Johnson & Johnson just wouldn't do it. So they pulled that one from the shelves. Moderna had never brought a drug to market prior to the COVID shot. They'd been in business for years and had never brought a single drug that the FDA approved to market. That all by itself should have been something to keep Moderna from being in the game of vaccines. But this, this company who couldn't produce a single drug that was FDA approved over and over and over again, rejection after rejection, was allowed to produce COVID shots. So a lot of the tainted shots that are, you know, I'm going to say a majority of the tainted ones, if, if they had to isolate them, Moderna was probably responsible. And I'm, I'm alleging this. This is not fact. But uh, Pfizer, you know, that's a big drug company and they do an awful lot of stuff. And um, they pay an awful lot of fines. Mm -hmm, they've paid an awful lot of fines and. An awful lot of things have, have been pulled from the shelves after causing this and that and the other. Um, you know, Pfizer, you know, I wouldn't call it too big to fail, but I would call it too big. You know, they, they, they made it so you couldn't sue these people. Well, and I understand. When, sorry to interrupt. I understand by Dr. David Martin that if you've committed fraud, then the um, liability uh, shield uh, is uh, compromised. Yes, and I, it, seems, it seems to me that at some point someone is going to give 
um, damning um, unequivocal evidence that Pfizer and others have committed fraud. And therefore, I, I think Pfizer is going to end up as a zero in uh, in equity market terms. I think an awful lot of that evidence has already been put out there and it's been squashed by the mainstream media or threats or, you know, because uh, I mean, and there are an awful lot of people that, you know, Elon Musk came back and took over Twitter. But I got to tell you, I don't trust it. It's funny. I'm, I'm going to come go straight to my media pick for, for this week, which is um, James Corbett, Corbett Report. And it's episode 429, Meet Elon Musk, Technocratic Huckster. And I'm going to quote from him directly. Elon Musk is a World Economic Forum young global leader and a self-promoting charlatan who would have amounted to absolutely nothing without unrelenting support from government and his globalist pals. I saw that and didn't get a chance to listen to that, but I am going to. It's on uh, CorbettReport.com slash Musk. I'm on that. The thing is that when Elon went to China and opened Tesla factories in China, I wondered what that cost him. You know, I mean, China owns Biden. That's pretty obvious. China owns a majority of American politicians, allegedly. Um, well, he, clearly, is, he clearly owns the Biden crime family. Well, I mean, you know, there was this thing that happened earlier this week. I don't know if you had time to hear about it or not. There's this world satellite phone that the Biden was using to, you know, do all their corrupt business on. And somebody got their hands on that phone number and called it. And Joe answered. He answered and then hung up when he realized who it was because, you know, come on, man, don't you know this is just for crime? <laughs> and Elon's basically just completely trashed Twitter this uh, this weekend. Well, too, I heard that there, if somebody said anything negative about Tesla, their accounts would be shut down and completely disappear. You know, I mean, Elon doesn't like to be challenged. And two, you know, there was that one rocket takeoff where they had video of the fire coming out of the rear rockets and, you know, um, the camera was really focused on it and, the you know, the... It's, this rocket supposedly is in the air taking off and then a mouse ran across the engine. And there were a lot of people that saw that. Uh, you know, it makes you go, what the heck's going on? You know, I, I firmly believe that a majority of what we know and believe is a lie. And I firmly believe that that the government since the 70s has been cobbling ways to get complete control and uh, the thing is, though, your average politician that can be bribed is not that smart. The average politician, I mean, look at AOC. That woman is as dumb as a box of rocks. She's not the kind of person that can come up with, you know, ways of me going to get a blood test and they already have all my prescription information or my car tags. I mean, she's not the person coming up with this. There is another group behind this. Well, these people couldn't work in the public sector, in the pu mm -hmm. private sector. They, had, they can only make money by working for a, a fraudulent government. Mm-hmm. And there was a time I considered, you know, when I grew up that one day I might, you know, serve and, and you know, go to office, start maybe with a, being a mayor and, or a town councilman or something like that and work my way up. I thought about that. But honestly, with all of the stuff that's been pouring out of the, um, 
the scandals and I realized it wasn't for me because I simply am not evil and I cannot play on a field where I'm too stupid to know what's going on like AOC or I'm so evil that I'll do whatever you pay me to do like Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, you know, I simply cannot be one of those people. And that's probably the feeling a majority of decent people. You know, everybody knows it's a huge corrupt organization and a decent person's not going to get within a thousand miles of, of this. Tim sent me that link yesterday to the Corbyn report about Elon Musk. I haven't had a chance to listen to it as yet. Um, would it be, could you just give us a, 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 a pricey of, of what it, what it says or would you prefer people listening uh, listen to it tim it's so it's only an hour long so it's i think most people find time for it the edited version would be and i wouldn't just restrict it to to musk but I, i'm now strongly minded to believe that elon musk is literally the antichrist and that all those people who are allegedly successful business people who've got rich through since basically the dot-com era they're all basically government appointed stooges and that their, their wealth hasn't been created legitimately it's been created by fraud so, but why would they do that? Um, I'm just trying to think if they've got NASA and then Elon Musk comes along and effectively creates some form of competition and does things much quicker than the government organization. Um, when I've seen him on the Joe Rogan podcast prior to him buying Twitter, Joe Rogan was complaining about how biased Twitter was and how accounts were shut down and, and, following that he then bought it and has opened it up so if if you'd said he was bad or good i could believe either because i don't have all the facts so but it, it seemed like corbett, he was on corbett, the right side corbett has a really interesting take on the whole twitter purchase which is that the twitter purchase which was sort of funded through a eight billion dollar sale of tesla stock because the the sale of Tesla stock was earmarked for Twitter. It was able to affect a sale without moving the price too much. But uh -huh. the, the the Tesla sale actually, the, the Twitter purchase rather, basically meant that he could defray something like $600 million worth of tax. And the whole thing was basically, a, it, it, the way Corbett describes it, it was basically a tax dodge that, that enabled him to sell a huge amount of stock in his other business without having to... Uh, pay a, a, a sufficient economic penalty if it as it versus if it just sold the, the stock without having any ulterior motive for doing something with the proceeds but isn't that the sort of thing that massive corporations sort of thing, do anyway but, no for sure it, it might well be it might well be but the 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 i mean anyone that spent it i mean i'm onto my third twitter account now in as many almost as many months <laughs> um and i'm not i'm not outright libeling people i'm just expressing a free view and a free opinion and the, the culture of cancel, the culture of cancellation and censorship has become so foul. Um, something that Dixie may not be aware of is that Nigel Farage, the, 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 one of the people who's most instrumental in getting us theoretically out of uh, the European Union seven years ago, um, has had all his bank, uh, all his bank accounts um, basically stopped here, and he can't get a new one. So he's seriously considering leaving the country. So, and they did that without a CBDC. Yeah, exactly. And to, I do know who Nigel is. And, uh, but I, the thing is, I'm going to see your antichrist and raise you an antichrist. <laughs> Obama supposedly is a Muslim. Now you can't get much more 
antichrist than Muslim. Um, I don't know. Most people don't know this, so I'm going to, to go into it briefly. Abraham, his only legitimate son was Isaac. But before Isaac was born, Ishmael was born. Isaac is where Christianity came from. Ishmael is where Muslims came from. In the Muslim Quran, they do talk about Jesus, but they speak of Jesus as if he's simply just an a, average a, a prophet. prophet. A prophet, a not prophet. the prophet. Exactly. And Allah can't be known. So to me, that's a little bit like a Nazi concentration camp. It can't be known. So the rules could change on you. But in the Christian Bible, God is, you know, we know everything we need to know about God. You know, he loves us. He hates sin. And, you know, there is a spiritual war going on and we're all we're aware of it. You know, once you get red pilled and you see it, you can't unsee it. I, I have been watching, rewatching movies uh, lately because the stuff that's coming out now is just complete crap and I refuse to waste money on it. So I've been rewatching movies and there was movie after movie after movie. Now that I've been red pilled and I know what's going on. I watch these movies and I see things come out of people's mouths and I'm like, oh my God, there like, we are. Like, like, like what? Um, let me think. Cause there've been a lot, the newsroom, there's a TV series called the newsroom. It's got the guy that played dumb and dumber in it. Um, that whole series, one lie after another, he goes on and he's, He's trying to play an anchor man like Walter Conkrite. Conkrite. Conkrite? I'm not saying it right. Cron Cronkite. Cronkite. Um, he's trying to pretend to be Walter, and he goes on and he says this and he says that, and the stuff that's coming out of him, his mouth and the things that they are reporting are just flat-out lies. Just flat-out lies. And this show came on in 2011, and I loved it in 2011. And back then, even then, I was like, well, that's not right. That The stuff he's saying is just wrong. But that's, isn't that because Aaron Sorkin is basically a socialist? Yes. Yes. I mean, he was talking about one of the biggest things he was talking about was how people should be allowed to vote without an ID. Because this woman had been voting for 75 years, but she didn't have a driver's license. And therefore, blah, 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 blah. But I bet the woman had a social security card. I bet she had some other form of ID. And he was like, people should be allowed to vote even if they don't have a driver's license. And I was like, and here we go. That brings us to Dominion, you know. I mean, that that was obviously newsroom fiction. Yeah, but, but, oh, but there, yeah, there are other movies like uh, Stranger Things. Um, yeah. I don't know if you guys watched that. Yeah, yeah very much okay enjoyed it yeah it's very good all right so once you understand that there is a spiritual war going on and um you know satan will say and do anything and you watch stranger things then you start seeing symbols like um monsters inc did you know that on supposedly the soccer ball has a symbol on it for adrenochrome and the soccer ball is in so many scenes on Monster Inc., just in places, you know, the, the, whenever they're, they're in the scare room to train, there's a soccer ball under the bed. Or whenever they went into the Boo, the main little character, little person, uh, child of the, that, that um, 
the main monster, what was his name? Sully was carrying around. Um, there's all these adrenochrome res- references. And whenever you see, you know, when you understand how adrenochrome is made and then you start watching this show and they, their objective is to scare children, which is how adrenochrome is manufactured. You know, and the thing is that in order to get adrenochrome, you don't need to scare a child. You need to terrify a child. And someone who has an undeveloped mind like a child are the easiest to terrify. You can do the same thing with little old ladies who've been taken care of their whole life. And, and the result of that is they'll never take that mask off their, off their face. So, you know, you start seeing this and it's like, you know, at the end, it's got this feel good, whatever. But if you um, hocus pocus, they want to eat children. Okay, so we go, we're back to the adrenochrome thing. Their what, objective what, is to what, eat children. What was the Stranger Things thing, though? Stranger Things, well, the Hellfire Club, um, you know, yeah. it, it's like they're saying it without saying it. It's all in fun. It's all in jest. Um, and Harry Potter, that's a big one. Um, J.K. Rowling made it up. And there are people who say it opens the door to witchcraft. And um, I actually know somebody who has a witchcraft shop in downtown Birmingham, believe it or not. Um, they have classes where they, witchcraft 101, you can go there and take the class. And he sells rocks and he sells gods and goddess statues and, and herbs and spices. And, and uh, you know, you can go down there and, and, and he will, he will, there, there's a huge uptick. His business in the last five years has gone up tenfold because people are turning to things like witchcraft. And it's because of movies like, he thinks it's because of an uptick in witchcraft movies. You know, The Craft, Hocus Pocus. Um, there are other, I haven't spoken to him probably in about four years at this point, but back then, whenever he saw a tenfold business, uh, a tenfold increase in his business, it, you know, he was, he was saying, there's a huge number of movies out, you know, um, there was one where it had a cute little blonde girl that was born into a witch family and, um, you know, gosh, I can't remember the name of it. Um. Sabrina. Sabrina was the name of that movie and uh, uh, the t- television series. The Teenage and Witch, yeah. The t- yeah, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. You watch that series, and then I got red-pilled after I watched that series, and I went back to watch it again, and it was like, oh, my goodness. And the amount of plagiarism from the Bible. Did you know that if you look at the book of Joshua and the Bible— and compare that to the military strategy manual at West Point. There is an awful lot of plagiarism going on there. I believe that West Point probably stole an awful lot of their strategy from the book of Joshua. So, but there's, it's almost every movie that I watch, there is something going on in there where you can tell it was made in Hollywood. And while I'm speaking, yesterday, there was a podcast that I listened to it was unbelievably long, but Roseanne Barr was on InfoWars with Alex Jones. You really need to go and listen to that entire podcast. It will take some time, but Roseanne Barr, she shows up about a third of the way in it, and she's on for about an hour, and some of the stuff that she says is, it, is confirmation of things that I've been studying and know. 
The uh, the thing that I think is going to shock a lot of people is going to be the next shooter drop, the revelation about child trafficking. There's a film coming out that you're probably aware of, The Sound of Freedom with Jim Caviezel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, child trafficking is, um, where do you think they're going to get all this adrenochrome? The, the movie, um, Johnny Depp was in it, uh, Leaving Las Vegas. No, not Leaving. It, it was that movie about doing drugs. And he was there with uh, ben, Bendicio El Tor- Del Toro. You fear, need to and lo- look- fear, fear and loathing. That's it. Fear and loathing in Las Vegas. He says uh, they they get into the hotel room and you know Johnny's had a, a couple of drinks. But he says, "Hey, go look at my shaving kit. There's a little brown bottle. You need to get a little hit of that. You only need a little bit." And he said, "What is it? It's Adrenochrome." And he said, you know, and he just takes it, you know, he doesn't ask where it comes from, but he said, it hits your system like blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, that's advertising. And where do you get adrenochrome? You get it from terrifying children. So they will jump adrenaline into their bloodstream. You sure you might get banned on whatever platform you're on now. I, I, don't, I don't think we're ever going to ever going to be, be broadcast again anywhere now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to sort of go around town, like in the blues bros broadcasting this out of a big PA system. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, y'all were suspiciously silent through all of this because I'm just dropping <laughs> one bomb after well, another bomb. And I haven't even gotten to the other thing that I mentioned uh, to you the other day, Tim, about the secret society that I happened upon here in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, I'm not going to mention the name of the secret society, but I'm going to describe it. The first rule got- of secret societies, you don't, you don't, you don't <laughs> Names spill, on the, the, spill, spill the goods about secret society. <laughs> oh, yes. That's the first rule. And the second rule is see the first rule. Okay. When I first moved to Birmingham in uh, 1994, um, I, I went to work and locally and I met a person who was not a member of the secret society, but the secret society has a party every year, a great big party at Mardi Gras. And he invited me to go. And I went and of course there was a ticket that had to be bought. So these parties were quote fundraisers. And it was a show and there were a lot of cross-dressing men in there and they had a king and a queen and the queen was a cross-dressing man and i gotta tell you i looked at that guy and i went he sure is fine (laughs) he makes a fine looking woman i mean he was just you know he had the boob job everything you know so and i went to this party and it, it is a big deal and it has been going on for a very long time, decades and decades. And um, the thing about this party, at the end of the night, they, king and queen, are only king and queen for a year, and then they crown the new king and queen. And they have a ceremony off to the side, on this little side stage. And I do remember whenever they were about to crown the new king and queen, and I knew the king for the current year, because I, I worked with him, and I was a little surprised to find out that at night in Birmingham, Alabama, this crap is going on. I mean, I didn't know anything about these types of people. I'd never met any of these types of people. And uh, it was just a shocker to me. Um, I was just a kid. 
And uh, so, but whenever the ceremony on the side started, my friend grabbed me by the arm gently and said, we need to go. And I said, okay. And so we headed for the door and left. Okay. I did not go back to that again until 2020. In 2020, actually, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. The year was 2019 because it was right when COVID started. And 2019, it was at Mardi Gras. Um, that same friend called and said, hey, we've got a spare ticket. Do you want to go? Sure. I would love to go to that. Because uh, it was it was a lot of fun the first time. I mean, you know, people, and to me, I looked at it as all in good fun. I did not really understand what the lifestyle really entailed. But so I bought the ticket and I went and I was a guest of the new king that was to be crowned. Um, but I did not sit at his table. I went and found his table and they had place cards and my name was not on any of them. So I went and sat elsewhere and they filmed these things and they put out videos that are given to the, the private members, but they have like a, a expert camera crew. I mean, you would think you were in Hollywood. There are so many cameras. And um, so this woman walked by me who was the producer and she said, why are you over here by yourself? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm actually a guest of the new king to be, but I really don't know him that well. And she said, well, don't you know anybody here? And I was like, yeah, I do. It's Birmingham. I'm sure I know probably 50 people out here. And she said, so why are you sitting by yourself? And I said, you know, I just am not feeling very comfortable right now um, because, and I didn't say anything to her about why, but she invited me to come and sit next to her in the booth where they were filming. She was producing everything and had all these screens up. So I said, sure. And I walked down with her and I had this uncomfortable feeling the second time I went because I'm not a kid anymore. I'm an adult. You know, pedophilia has been something that's been talked about an awful lot. Adrenochrome is something that's been talked about an awful lot. And, you know, I walked around and looked at the, the tables and, uh, you know, the decorations are just phenomenal. But I just had a creeped out feeling. But I'd paid my money and, you know, I knew it was going to be a good show because they put on this variety show that is hilarious. So I went and sat next to her and the stage, I had a dead on look from level as if I was sitting with the king and queen. I was actually a little bit higher up than they were. And I had a phenomenal view of this thing. So the variety show goes on and the, the, the cross-dressing men in, in this situation were not all that good looking anymore. It was pretty obvious they were men. The, the first time I went, I was fooled over and over again that that's a guy, that's a guy, that's a guy. I'm like, really? Oh, my God, it looks like a woman until they start talking or you start seeing the Adam's apple, you know. That, then, then I was getting clued in, and I got pretty educated that night on, on that. But I'm at this second party in 2019 sitting next to the monitors, and these, these people don't look so good anymore. They're all fat, and they're putting on high heels. One of them did a face plant walking down the, the runway and just, you know, and, and she was like, cameras up, do not film this until he's okay. We, you know, film the dancers and they have all the extra dancers go out to dance around and they're filming that while they're trying to get this guy up, you know, off the stage. And, um, you know, and, and it went on all night long. And then these young boys in 
shiny gold shorts and nothing else are dancing around the whole time the variety show is on. And I'm looking at these boys and I'm going, there is no way that kid is 18. That kid's got to be 14. There is no way that kid is 18. And there were just so many. There had to be 20, 30 of these kids coming out on stage and dancing around. And from where I was sitting, I had a monitor. I could see their faces clearly. I wasn't far away. I could clearly see these faces and go, that that kid might be 12. Um, At the end of the night, that little ceremony started occurring off to the right. And the party was in full swing. And I can tell you that a majority of the people that are at these parties are just like me. They are not part of that lifestyle. They are not part of those people. They're just, they bought a ticket because it's a big party and it's a good time and it's a secret, and there's a secret society that throws them. And, you know, it was only after that party that I went and did some research and realized there was a secret society behind these parties and discovered that 80 miles away in a different city, Tuscaloosa, there's another one of these parties going on. And then started seeing that this is actually happening all across America. And the members of this society are doctors, lawyers, business owners, and politicians. So now I'm going to get to the part that scared me so bad that I got up and left. The curtain came back and the little stage was set over to the right and it looked just like it did 25 years earlier. They had a little statue that looked like an owl and the king and queen were on their knees and there was uh, whoever was performing the ceremony had a sword in their hand and I had a headset so I could clearly hear what he was saying. But if I didn't have a headset, I could not clearly hear what he was saying because people were partying on the floor. And he said, we do this. Uh, We do blah, blah, blah. Do you swear this? Do you swear that? And we do this to honor Moloch. When I heard that name, I stood straight up. Moloch is who you sacrifice your children to. In the Bible, it clearly says that. And I had a moment where all of these things that I knew started connecting in my head. And I was just, I just started shaking. I stood there and looked around and went among the people that do this kind of evil, that condone it, that finance it. I'm standing here in the middle of this. I took the headset off. I had enough grace to thank the producer because it was the end of the show and she was busy. I thanked her and then I quickly exited and I went home and I got my computer out and I started doing research and I discovered that that secret society was everywhere. And it was doctors, lawyers, politicians, business owners. It was just a jaw-dropping night. I, I couldn't even sleep. I mean, I sat up all night long, just eyes wide open, thinking all these things kept just going off in my head of, okay, so that connects to this adrenochrome thing. That connects to some child trafficking. That connects to the judges voting a certain way. You know, There were a lot of judges there. Uh, Probably every judge in Birmingham might have been there. I don't know. But there were a lot. There were several that I recognize. Um, 
you know, Birmingham is a small city and uh, you know the people. And, and, and then when, I mean, just, it was just quite shocking to realize what I had been in the midst of and realize that those people are where I live. Uh, that is a mic drop moment for sure. Um, Dixie, I'm, I'm sorry, but we have a four o'clock pod that we're going to have to uh, bounce onto. Um, so we do have a hard stop for this one. Okay. Um, so I wasn't, I, I didn't, wasn't sure it was going to go on for two hours. Um, so I thought we had allowed enough time. So we <laughs> may have to pick this up again, um, at, at some point, if that's okay. It certainly is. My media pick is ready or not. Andy McDowell is in it. Enjoy. Ready or not. Okay. I've not heard of that. Uh, Tim, you've given us your. Yeah, I've shared mine already, which is the uh, episode 429 of the Corbett Report, Meet Elon Musk. And I think you can guess my one is the Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling podcast, which is just brilliant and really enjoyed it. And um, I'm sure you will. And I know, uh, Dixie, I know you've you've watched mm -hmm. it, or listened to it, I should say. And um, yeah. And you I was quite it impressed. Yeah, it's really good. Great. Well, Dixie, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm, yep. I'm a bit shell-shocked, I have to say. And yeah, um, yeah I, I think we've we got we to gotta find some time to unpack all of what you've said here. <laughs> I, th I think I'm going to start counselling. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. And I apologise, number one, that it took so long. Number two, I dropped so many bombs, but... I've yeah. been doing a lot of research for a lot of years. Tim wasn't sure exactly how red pilled I was, but as you can tell, I think we've established. I, know a lot. I, th I think we're manufacturing red pills at this moment. <laughs> Actually, I've gotten to where I stopped doing it. If people aren't already in the know, I don't tell them. Yeah. Because I don't. It, the cognitive dissonance is strong in people when they don't want to hear something. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, look. Dixie, thank you so much. I'm sorry that we have to, we have to obviously stop no at four o'clock. Um, but at least uh, we we, we end on a true bombshell. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Thanks so yes, much for coming. On. So thanks. Thank so, yeah, thank you so much for coming on, and um, we look forward to your return. Absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks, Dixie. Bye. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.